Jim Joyce. Wednesday, man. <laughs> it's Wednesday. Um, and, um, you know, every time, you know, I'm usually sort of the first one starting the session and I hear the your click, it just, it like invigorates me because I know it's Wednesday and we're recording the shot and and I got my, you know, once a week liquor ready. Um, the, the, the goal is to finish this by the end of season five um, of this, Love it. this one. Love it. We're getting close. We're getting close to season five, aren't we? What's the deal? Uh, so today I think is episode nine and then we got 10 next week. Also, also, I mean, just, I don't know, just amazing people we're, we're getting. And I, um, yeah. yeah but amazing. Go ahead, before, go. before we get into it, um, I don't know if you, uh, if you read, so there's like a lot of stuff happening around one of our guests, you know, crossover health, uh, you know, a while back they raised 163 million uh, after, you know, um, just Massa did like an awesome, awesome interview in WTF health. Um, yeah. Um, and then uh, my my buddy Brian Dolan uh, actually did like a huge piece in exits and outcomes, like breaking a lot of the stuff down. So lots of yeah. activity around our previous guest. Um, Matthew Holt gave uh, finally us a feedback saying we actually gave some news that he didn't know about. That was on Doc Simony. Right, 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 but, uh, right. But as always, we're going to leave, uh, you know, the funding reporting, uh, you know, to the two of them. Uh, they're just awesome at it. Though I will mention, because both of them are sort of like back in the day, New York companies, Healthy Nation with an I, um, which I think we know some people combined right. that was started in early 2000s. Uh, I didn't even know they were around still, but they just sold to GoodRx. Um, okay. So, yeah. Um, so I don't know if Matthew knows about this or not. This is like right. fresh, you know, maybe he'll catch up fresh on Fresh information. It. Yeah, I don't, I, think, I don't think we're going to be breaking news. <laughs> we're not going to. No, gonna... but, you know, that's not us. So we're not about breaking news here. But no. Uh, no. anyway. So, um, and then... Um, First of all, are you ever, you're still in the U.S., right? I'm still, I'm still in the U.S. <laughs> I'm still in the U.S. I'm navigating, I'm navigating the U.S. So I've done Charleston, Boston. I'm back in Orlando. I've got my, I've got my second jabber. I got my awesome, second jabber. Awesome. So my immunity is building. You know, the world is opening up. Positivity. You know, we're guiding, Love it. guiding it. Love it's, it. All open. it's all open feeling good yeah no my my wife and family said they think dad's gonna come home sometime this summer <laughs> you know, I, i'll be frank with you i just i had zero time but part of my one of my ideas for today was to actually like chat with emmy to for her to join before you join in to reconnect the two of you <laughs> that, was, that was awesome no she kind of she's living vicariously through me at the moment right now i'm taking you know a swim in the courtyard the Marriott yeah. Cool. Oh, amazing. <laughs> so um, anyway, our, our next guest is waiting. Um, so um, I think she's going to be our second guest that either neither one of us really met directly, even though I did catch up with her, you know, the week before. But uh, yep. Dan Kendall introduced me uh, to her and just amazing person. Um, I think this will be fun. And I'm yep. going to let in Dr. Vonda Wright. Um, She's part of part of this power community, the Lisa Swonen kind of. I I don't know if she knows Lisa okay. to be okay. honest, um, but we'll find out. Let's see. Hello, hello, Vanda. 
Hi, how are you? Hi. Good. You wait. You waited. You waited. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm going to charge you for it. Don't you think a bill's not coming? <laughs> Ooh, that's a, that would be a first, actually. That would be, <laughs> be a first. That would be a first. Pleasure to meet you. I'm Jim. Hi. <laughs> Hi. And, and, and we just met, you know, before we let you and, you know, Jim and I just do a few minutes of, uh, you know, jabbering. Um, and um, it was it was good to connect with you. Thanks for to Mr. Kendall. Um and there's just so much to you to unpack in every positive way. Uh, you know, a surgeon, a speaker, a fellow podcaster, um, hot for your health. So, but maybe, I don't know, in your own words, would love to hear about you and your story. Because this is all about just, you know, having a shot of water or whatever you prefer, but, <laughs> and just shooting this. Well, you know what? I could go all the way back to my APGAR scores if you want to know about my whole life. I mean, that's a, I was a healthy baby, nine and 10 and screaming the whole time. But, you know, I, uh, I think an interesting part of my history that, that I've always said if surgery didn't work out was I was raised on a farm in Kansas where we raised these funny little green things that were fed to hogs. And not until I moved to a city did I discover that edamame was a fancy <laughs> form of soybeans right so we we it's just funny so anyway but i always tease that if the surgical thing didn't work out that i learned a lot of hands-on skills growing up on a farm but by my first uh, job my first training in medicine was actually as a nurse in the early days of really uh successful if you will not immunotherapy but the stage before that uh, cancer care and so i did a lot of research looking at you know, crazy things like what happens to a stem cell when you dump tumor necrosis factor on them? What kind of markers do they express on their service and all that kind of geeky stuff. And I was one of the first people uh, as, a, as a research student to study nutrition in AIDS patients because it was so long ago in the eighties, AIDS was brand new, right? People were still right. dying of it. It wasn't a chronic disease. So I bring all those experiences with me uh, when I finally decided to go back to medical school when I was 28. Uh, and who knew that I would decide on a almost 12 year track to get it to be an orthopedic surgeon, but I'm really excited that I did. But I think it, all this shows that I've worn a lot of hats. And even now as an orthopedic surgeon, I do, I'm a sports guy, a sports doc, if you will. I did a fellowship after my residency at hospital uh, for special surgery in New York. Um, so I, I do shoulder, hip and knee arthroscopy in the OR, but that's only part, right? You alluded to some other things. I give a, a lot of free advice to innovators and in biotech uh, and honestly trying to turn that into more of a business of how to go from your idea on a napkin to ideation to, to execution, right? Sometimes ideas are easy. It's actually executing it. Um, yep. Ideas are cheap, as we always say, right? That's right. But, and people, and sometimes engineers and creatives don't realize that they actually need a, a geeky clinician like me as a champion to say, hey, I'm going to tell you how to get into our hallowed halls. So I do that. And I have this podcast where we met called Hot for Your Health. And that was developed just to Re, uh, re-expose the content from this nonprofit I started called Women's Health Conversations, which 
I started in 2012 knowing that women actually make 80% of all the healthcare decisions in this country, not only for ourselves, but everyone that we touch, whether it's our families, our partners, our work people, and in that exert an extraordinary amount of influence and potential for changing the health of this country and in doing so changing our culture and our economy. So we started with a, you know, a few hundred women in a room and by 2018, we uh, had a thousand women in a room and a large digital presence. Oh, and then I had to really focus, refocus on my day job because I moved from the University of Pittsburgh where I was the medical director of this place called uh, the UPNC Lemieux, if you're a hockey fan, you'll recognize the name Lemieux Sports Complex, which was a joint right. venture between the hospital and the sports. So I left that in Pittsburgh, which was, I had the most amazing team, moved to Atlanta to build Northside Health System, a orthopedic surgery department. Wow. And my, and my nonprofit had to do what was appropriate and take a hiatus. But now I'm ready again to, and we're relaunching with a giant event, virtual event in awesome. May. So that's what you're talking about. But in doing so, I've launched another podcast. Um, <laughs> but wait, there's know? more. I know. When more. do you find the time? When do I you find the time? I haven't told you about my uh, family of six children, but I, 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 I told you have six children. Well, I'm a, I'm the mother of a blended family of six children. But wow. this newest podcast is called the Doc Show, MD. Okay. And it is uh, just conversations between Kay Marie MD, who's a colleague of mine. Um, we trained together. She's a hepatobiliary surgeon, chief of surgery at Grady, and myself. And we talk about a lot. The first episodes are a lot about all the issues that professional women uh, deal with, whether it's, oh, I'm going to say this word, the, 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 um, it it's called? meticulously unproduced, so just go for it. <laughs> you just go oh, for that's it. That's right. You don't care what I say. It, you know, the, 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 I, I call, um, what's that? Sorry, name? you can hear the lawnmower. <laughs> Where men are in charge, the, the patriarchy. Oh, yeah. the patriarchy, yeah. yeah. But you know what? We yeah. talk about the fact that women are the gatekeepers of the patriarchy. Now, that's an interesting concept, right? We talk totally. About, <laughs> we talk about training. We talk about surgery. We talk about, so anyway, that's called the doc show. Yeah. MD. So let me pause. How are you keeping know, this? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't even know where to start unpacking all of that. And when you. Well, I was all excited. That. I was all excited. You're, you're going to get rid of my back pains because I was listening to some of your, your um, you know, on Dr. Oz and some of the video yeah. that was going, yeah. I was making sure my posture was, was right. in the yeah. right place. Right. Yes. I but, also do media. Yeah. So you're right. But, but, but the, um, like, how are you finding this? So, so yeah, so amazing career, you know, clinician, communicator, builders of systems, <laughs> raiser of ra raising six children. How are you finding the last, uh, the last year? It, has, it seems like you've only accelerated. <laughs> well, you know what about COVID? So my COVID story is before, you know, March 13th was the day that I suddenly, not this March 13th, last March 13th, I can't even see without my glasses. I'm I'm just that uh, old. So, so you know, we remind, but we kind of I think at this point scratched it because uh, we try to steer. We, yeah, we kind of talk about started, it, but don't talk about it. <laughs> when we when we started this a year ago, which by the way, I mean a year, dude, we forgot. To yeah, we started like, a year really, ago. Yeah, um, oh, a year ago. Um, 
we, we this was like a COVID-free zone, so we weren't allowed to say these words, oh. sort of danced around it, and so oh. we made these signs and stuff. But honestly, <laughs> I think as as the world has gotten, I mean, obviously we have uh, countries like India and Brazil, just it's craziness that's going on there. So we're not way over it, but at least we we you know we're managing right. through it. Well, anyway. I think a lot of I, I think that it has spurred a lot of side topics. Like I was, uh, I don't have to tell you my COVID story, but I can tell you that it put me as an administrator and surgeon in a place that I've never been before. Because even as an academic surgeon, I never got a sabbatical. You know, academics okay. every seven years. If you're a PhD researcher, every seven years you're allowed to take time to think. I mean, thinkers need time to think, right? But as right. an academic surgeon, that's not something that's really afforded to us because we're considered producers. We are judged okay. by our, but what COVID did was forced me as to slow down a little bit, which was weird. You know what? I'm <laughs> right. structured as you can imagine that the unstructured life was pretty unnerving to me. Yes. And so even though now we're back in pretty much full speed, it really was a learning experience. And by the way, gentlemen, I became, during that time, I needed something to do with my farm hands. I became like everybody else, a sourdough expert and have the ounce <laughs> to prove it. Excellent, sourdough it is. Um, but, but you forgot one other thing because I think that will maybe connect a little bit as you slow down. And I don't know when you wrote this, but you're also an author of a couple of books, but the one that interested me because I mean, there's no secrets. I am over 40, um, but the fitness after 40. So maybe give us like a few hints. A few I, don't know. <laughs> this one, this, I don't know if this is a visual. I, uh, I... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a video. I mean, yeah. for, for, the, for the listeners later. Um, yeah, it's you know. on Amazon, fitness after 40, 50, 60 and beyond. So, well, here's, I've written four books and a textbook, um, which every academic's ob ob obliged to write a textbook. Here's the textbook with one of my residents so that she's a superstar. But yep. listen, I started writing because um, I always knew, I had a feeling in the back of my mind that aging was not an inevitable decline from the vitality of youth down some slippery slope to aging. In fact, I've always believed that from the minute of our conception to the minute of our death, that we have more control and aging doesn't have to be dire straits, but no one would believe me, right? Until very recently when all the superstar uh, celebrities turned 50, oh my God, aging's okay now. Well, I've been lonely on a mountaintop telling you that you can't be fit after 40. So I'm so happy everybody's coming along, but I started, I wrote that book actually um, in 2005. It was, a, it was okay. the first one and here, I. Here are the four, if you really want tips from fitness after 40, what do you do when you hit the critical decade, which 40 in my book is the critical decade unscripted to get your shit together. If you don't get your shit together in the 40s, 50, 60 and beyond can be a little harder than it needs to be. And for men in particular, 40s are prime time because my research and other people's research has shown, yeah, that um, you can be nearly as strong and competitive as you were when you're in your 20s, plus you have the advantages of the wisdom of age. Hopefully you have more money and are not living in your parents' house anymore. And, <laughs> and you have played your game long enough that you've acquired that tactical acumen. So it's cool to be in your 40s, but if you're just- So I still to... have hope, Jim, I don't know about you. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you guys, it's so funny. I have a whole list of 40 plus year old pro athletes are, who are proving me right, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I'm totally inspired by it. You know, it. I was, I was, uh, I was inspired by our, you know, at least not today's conversation. So I, I did do 150 push-ups, not all at once throughout the day today. And I'm wow. going to continue. Wow. I'm going to hit 200 today. So just FYI. That's Try. great. Yeah. And I'm, and how I'm, I'm, I'm like, 14 hours or into my intermittent fasting here. So if I start to fade out, <laughs> like, you know, like a little glucose so, issues. What is, you know. what is your time window to eat? Well, I kind of do, I try to eat dinner, you know, by kind of nine, you know, and then, uh, and then lunch like two or three o'clock. Oh, okay. You're a late in the day shift. I do that, but I eat from 10 to six because I'm, I'm a morning person. So yeah, about mm -hmm. as long as I can last. So yeah yeah no it's a tricky one but it's good yeah so can we can we jump i don't know jim where you were gonna you know i think we're uh, to me what fascinates me is the whole sports medicine and human performance and i know i think at xmed you um, um and daniel crafts event i think we you know not, as i looked you up on youtube after our conversation last week i'm like i i know i met her somewhere and i think so it was at xmed but anyway can, can you talk a little bit more about, I mean, the longevity, the human performance, and why can't we try to democratize this for everyone, right? Because athletes are so good in this human performance and, you know, fitness and, I mean, I'll shut up, but. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, nothing would make me more happy to, than to be out of a job, meaning that nobody needs an orthopod or a performance person to tell them how to age well or to optimize every day. So I think uh, the first step in democratization is not actually more research. We know both by solid research, the kind I've done that shows that you can maintain your lean muscle mass, your, your bone density, your brain function, uh, and a variety of other things by lifestyle choices. But you can, we've also observed it. Social scientists such as Dan Buettner have observed in his Blue Zones project populations in this world that live on average 114 years. And the nine things they do are not high tech sports performance. They're chronic mobility, eating, eating uh, uh, lean protein and green leafy vegetables. It's having deep social groups. It's being non-toxic, whether the toxins come from smoking or plastic, you know, we're mm. poisoning ourselves with plastic in this country and around the world. And then a sleep and rest, right? These simple lifestyle things can have a huge effect, but we are reaching a critical place in this country where we have generational, up to three generations of bad health. And so we're, the stress of war in the first world war, coupled with all the civil unrest, plus all the industrialization and feeding our animals and feedlots with crap that we then eat. And I'm not against meat. I actually am a meat eater, but how we have how we have standardized poor quality nutrition and sedentary living now three generations in makes 60 something percent of our population obese by definition. And 33% of our population has insulin uh, insensitivity, which is diabetes and 17% of our children. So how do we harness what we know is true for athletes and democratize it 
it is more of a behavioral science problem than an actual sports science problem. It's how do we, and this is what I've done my whole life. It's what women's health conversations and writing books is about. How do we get people to invest every day in their health? How do we get them to realize that they are worth the daily investment in their health? Because people are externally motivated. They're like, oh, it's Somebody, you know, somebody's got to do it for me. It's as if we're helpless. We're not. Every decision, whether it's drinking water from stainless steel instead of plastic, that's a decision to <laughs> detox and to hydrate, right? Is, is this okay? So, oh, well, that's a glass bottle, by the way. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So when I talked about performance at exponential medicine, there is the question when you're trying to, you know, squeeze the last drops of performance out of high capacity people, whether you're high capacity as an executive, as a scientist, as an athlete, how do you do that? Is it, is it 10,000 hours of practice, which is one school of thought, or is it the genes, you know, in, in the original work uh, that I cited in that talk, uh, the researcher said, if you want to, if you want to be a pro athlete, choose your grandparents pretty well, you know? <laughs> so, and I think it's actually a combination of both. When you look at the best athletes in the world, you have to have a phenotype, you have to have a capacity and we call it in medicine, a cytoplasm, but then you have to have the mental will to push yourself past the point of pain. Mm. And then you have to have the, the ability, the opportunity to practice and not get injured young. Mm. It's all those things, right? It's not just don't choose your grandparents. Well, lots of us have good genes and then we under underuse them. Right, right. And, and, and so what do you, when you look at, obviously we call this the shot of digital health, but when you look at phenomena that's happening right now of like the virtualization of healthcare, the kind of the, you know, the, the software kind of eating the healthcare systems right now. How are you feeling about that? Like this new, you know, are you incorporating that into your advice and you're thinking about it? Or do you see this as a way to, you know, that it's almost like keeping us more sedentary, you know, like. No, you know what I love about digital health is, and, and I'm gonna show you exactly how geeky I am. I love digital health and having health all in one place. Like this is an EKG machine. This is a tell, I can talk to my doctor, you know, this will do everything, whatever brand, you know, it doesn't matter what brand, as long as it's smart. Nikola Tesla, you know, the Tesla of electricity, not, you're not Elon Musk, although those are nice cars, but um, he predicted the cell phone and the democratization of everything. But when he, he said that when um, technology advances, that people who previously didn't have access will have access, such as women. He actually predicted, predicted the rise of women that we're seeing today because access to health in this topic via digital matter means, means that no matter where you are in the world, if you are on a boat in the Amazon and you have a smartphone and a satellite and a 3D printer, you can download a CAD file, take it to the solar powered 3D printer and have a splint printed, which is what they did for finger splints on the, on the um, space shuttle. Who needs to put that in the loading dock? Just print it off, right? So I'm really bullish about technology and medicine because it's going to give access to health to people who were previously too far away, too poor, too weak, or uh, to get it, right? You don't right. have to 
TV, any of those things, if you can afford a cell phone these days. Right, right. So you're bullish. So, so this, and, and then, you know, and one of the things we were debating, I think with one of our guests recently was the fact that if you actually look at the price, you know, the, the price points of a lot of these like digital, like digital therapeutics and, you know, Eugene is an ex, he's now become the foremost expert on this area. But the, if you look at the, if you look at the price points on it, <laughs> they can actually be, they can actually be quite expensive, right? And the reimbursement pathways are right here. But, you know, so it's like the promise of them is that they could, you know, digitally, they could become very accessible, but right, we'll probably right now in a phase where they're, they're just not accessible to everybody or that people are aware about it, you know? Well, the good news about that is what we know about exponential technologies in general is that the speed of processing increases, doubles every two years, which makes things better products better. Right. And the price of processing is cut in half every two years. So the original genome, when it was sequenced, cost billions of dollars and took, I don't know, 13 yeah. years. We can currently sequence an entire human genome for less than $400 um, in a day. And so I predict very quickly, every baby born will have a little swab, we'll all be sequenced, we'll be able to predict their precision health and therefore have more access to care. So give us some time and it will be- Sure, sure. Yeah. Sure. Maybe I just wanna actually jump back because I think you know part of, um, I guess to a certain extent what we're doing uh, while this was a mental health help for Jim and I, you know, there's <laughs> millions of people listening to our podcast and I actually, I, you know, I think- Are there, that's um, good, on to write MD. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But I actually want to dive a little bit deeper into the conversations because I'll be frank with you. I added a bunch of them in the queue, but like I want to sort of peel the onion on on the hot for your health. Um, sure. And kind of because to me, it's, you know, I think people that are in learning and we're all constantly learning. I actually think uh, and shout out to Mr. Kendall again. Right. I mean, the whole podcast, he gave us the idea to turn this YouTube craziness into a podcast as well. But democratizing education in all of this. So maybe uh, chat a little bit about your podcast too. I'm, I'm pimping it out for you a bit. Of course. Thank you. Hot for your health, which drops every <laughs> Thursday. And you should go get there, one tomorrow. They, yep. they, tomorrow. There you go. Subscribe. Um, the reason I love Hot for Your Health is where else are you going to be able to get one-to-one um, -one access with these experts. For instance, um, I had an expert recently talking about, her name is Kelly Casperson. She's a female urologist who is really on fire taking over the country talking about you are not broken, which means that 50% of the women in this country unscripted have don't have orgasms and we think we're broken. And why is that? Well, that's because nobody in the world talks about women's sexuality. So Kelly Casperson, who has her own podcast called You Are Not Broken, um, is on and and just educating women in that way. I had uh, I've had another great I have so many great guests on. I had a great guest named Rupa Wong, who is a ophthalmologist who lives in Hawaii. Now I would never get to talk to her, but because of podcasting, we are on talking about time management and how we really use research-based time management skills to um, do work-life integration, right? I am not a believer in work-life balance. I think for those of us that are high capacity, we actually integrate everything 
you know, my phone just buzzed. It was my family. I'm working with you. I'm going to interview <laughs> that. There aren't, for me, there aren't separate times. Uh, right. So she Great. talked about time management, right? Um, we've, I've had a cardiologist on named Suzanne Steinbaum, who's out of New York, who takes the approach to heart health as not as it's a fist sized organ in our chest. It has tubes in and out. She talks about heart health as the entire person, right? And the approach to heart health, which we know is con connected to the microbiome. We know the microbiome yep. in our gut is connected to our brain. So I've had scientists in every one of these fields in, and where else would you get access to that? And so I have found when I've researched millennials in particular, as opposed to Xers like me or boomers, Millennials first go to digital means to be self-educated. Sure, and that's me. Be really, that's me. Really careful, right? right? Where you get your info, buyer beware. But that's why credible places like this, this health platform Dan's put together is a great way for people to start. This whole this whole area of I love that theme of like you are not broken because you know I think you know you have people that actively manage or seek information or you know that you know, might get better access to it. But a lot of people, you know, enter into healthcare or enter into mental health issues with the fundamental, you know, issue that they believe that, you know, they just aren't like everybody else. Like they, they're not as fit, they can't motivate themselves. Mm. Um, do you, I mean, do you think when you, when you think about that, you know, when you think about people coming out of it, like if people are going to be walking into your surgery right now or into your practice, you know, and, and I know I touched on this before, but in the last year, you know, are people feeling pretty broken right now? Or do you think what, you know, how, what, what, do you, what issues do you think you'd face from people that have had to kind of, you know, lock down over the last year? I think from a purely physical standpoint and mental standpoint, we're seeing a few things. From the physical standpoint, since I'm a musculoskeletal doctor and people have been sitting around behind desks like this for an entire year, now that it's warm and there's vaccines, they're getting out and they're, not remembering that it's been 14 months since you did this before. So we're getting tons of injuries. And my, my word to people is let's start at 50% of what you were doing before and work back up so that you're not spending another three months sitting somewhere from an injury. But from a mental standpoint, you know what? We're tired. We are tired. There is a certain stress from not, not we're tired as doctors, but we are tired as a society. There's a certain stress that comes from the medical pandemic, the social injustice, the political, whatever. It's been a very stressful year. And so what that does medically is give people shorter fuses, mm. right? You may be able to tolerate this pain before or a few sleepless nights from your pain before, but now you come in with a mindset of, oh my God, one more thing, right? And right. so it behooves physicians to listen more than ever. And you know, if you come into my office, I do not take notes in front of you. I do not sit at my computer and type. I memorize what you say. And then I walk out and I do my electronic medical record later. And, and lots of people I work with do that. And that is because the heart of a doctor-patient relationship is still communication. It is not how, it is not having my note done at the end of the visit, which is a pet peeve to me. But you know what that means is because technology needs to catch up to the way doctors do their workflow. It means that I, I dictate from 4 to mm -hmm. 7 a.m. in the morning when I could be doing something else like sleeping or taking care of my family. But, but um, getting back to what patients need now because of, of this year we've had, they need us to listen more. 
right. they need us to take a little time and say, you know what, this was a hard year. And I'm so right. proud of my office when we were when we were slow and couldn't do elective surgery, I put my own athletic trainer, Brian Finn in charge of calling our patients and he gathered a team. They made 15,000 phone calls wow. just to say, hey guys, how are you doing? We're not open right now, but we're here if you need us by telemedicine, You know, just know that there's somebody still out there. And I think that meant a lot to people because it was yeah. we're lonely in a crowd today. We're lonely. Yep. Uh, digitally connected speaking of msk and digital and i don't know how closely you're tracking that i mean we have you know our friends at you know kaya health um there's hinge health and so a lot of these uh, i'll say self-help with health coaching or without and full services um how are you looking at at some of these newer breeds of companies uh in your practice uh, just curious and then well, I'll, I'll leave, I'll leave the famous question to Jim. Yeah. You know, I, uh, that's a great question. In fact, this week I'm uh, speaking at a conference out of uh, UCSF called doc SF. It's an orthopedic. Oh, our, our friend, uh, Stefano. Stefano Bini, right. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, he's all about digital tech and ortho, but this is where I get back to, I'm going to talk about a few companies that I'm really excited about, but, um, this is where I get back to, okay, engineers, when you think you've got a good idea, the first thing you should do is not spend a lot on a prototype. You need to go find a clinician and see it if, if, it, if it's even a real problem or fits within a workflow, right? And then, you know, if they're nice, I'll write it on a napkin for you. <laughs> I'll tell you how to do it. But, you know, what? for instance, during COVID, uh, the laws were changed on a reimbursement for remote patient monitoring, for instance. Mm -hmm. right. Remote patient monitoring is a way for people listening, for us to care for people and track them at home. And, you know, honestly, bill for it, because unlike lawyers, doctors get a lot of phone calls, make a lot of follow-up. I spend hours on the phone with people and we don't bill for any of that time. And yet we're judged by our productivity. So remote patient monitoring allows us to be where you need us and still make a living. So we needed to do that during COVID. And so we did a pilot for orthopedic remote patient monitoring use, using a sports performance system called Fusionetics, which basically you point your camera at the person, you do this physical assessment based on what the camera sees. There's no little things to put tapes to put on people, which that is obsolete. Uh, technology now. I know there's a lot of PT companies still trying to do that mm -hmm. with self-adherent monitors. The technology changes so fast, that's obsolete. So you point your camera, it sees you, it calculates, is my knee, my knee, my deep knee bend accurate? Am I falling into valgus, which is knock need? Am I tipping over? And based on what the algorithm sees, it gives you corrective movement patterns. And then in our, we enroll people on the office and then every day we get feedback as to what they did, did they do it, how they're doing, we can then call them. So that remote patient monitoring actually uh, is incredibly effective in musculoskeletal patients. And you wouldn't think it would be, you would think it would only be for primary care, which it's not. Right. Um, so that's one digital company. I like the companies out there, I forget their names, which help with OR workflow and the jigsaw puzzle of 
fitting cases in effectively. I like the right. same for office workflow. If you've ever been to a doctor's office and you feel like you're running around in circles, you know, right. there's, there's digital systems for that now. Yeah. And if you were to, I mean, I don't know if you want to go here already, Eugene, but if, if you were, yeah. it, if, so you're like, just thinking about you, like a speaker, author, clinician, obviously good expertise in the whole uh, digital healthcare. If you were going to give advice to a digital health entrepreneur or startup that's kind of coming out of this kind of difficult year, what would be, what would be the advice that you'd give them for her? You know what? I think that I would, uh, if you haven't already done it, I would take some time to become a connoisseur of the entire landscape. I would go backwards and dig really, really deep into, into processing technology and what the future will be for processing and AI and augment, not augmented reality, X reality, whatever it's going to be, because this technology moves so quickly. If you ideate over something that is current technology, by the time you get a prototype, it will be obsolete. So I would take the painful time of predicting the future and thinking past what we're capable of today to the Star Trekian or whatever science fiction you like. You know, look at Marvel movies. I don't think all that cool stuff they made up is that far away. Right. Oh, I've been I've been binging them every weekend with my younger daughter actually the last couple of weekends. It's awesome. And apparently there's like phases. I didn't even know this. You watch it by phases in the storylines. Yes. Yes, yes. Do you have to watch them in order? I've done that same yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah. But that's Something what I, I learned. that's what I would tell young inventors is don't be so quick to rush into the present. Right. But invent right. for five and ten years into the future so that you're not obsolete before you even come out of the gate. Love and it. talk to people like yourself how it fits in into that future. Oh, that's your first yeah. step. That is your first <laughs> step. Talk to a clinician that you serve. Oh, and talk to Vonda Wright at, at One Red Arrow. <laughs> yeah, to our millions of listeners. You that's know, right. talk to Vonda Wright. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Well, listen, um, I mean, there's just so much more to unpack. I don't even, uh, you know, maybe we pause here and, I, you know, I'm, I'm done with my drink almost. That's why. Yeah, and I'm looking forward. I got to get some time to kind of to to catch into this podcast, and um, you know, this uh, can anyone watch Hot for Health? Can I can a middle aged yeah. man watch it? <laughs> oh, absolutely, you're gonna be so amazed at what you're gonna learn. <laughs> Fantastic. Honestly, it's it's one of those things for me. Um, it's you know, you can never find time. You have to make it, and so I actually have like a queue in my Spotify. I just add things, you know, to the podcast queue. That's you know, I make time for for the specific ones. So yeah, yeah. Um, honor and a pleasure. That was awesome. Thank you so much Thank for joining so much. us today, and for our listeners, follow, subscribe, whatever the action, the positive action you do on that screen of yours. Yes. Thanks, Thanks so, so much. much for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers.